Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. Uh, We are so incredibly grateful that we have the privilege of entering into your presence. God, we know that you are holy and righteous and altogether good. You are deserving of all our praise and all our glory, God. We love you. And God, as we enter into your presence, we are filled with fear and awe, Lord. We are reminded of our own sin of this past week. We are reminded of how we have not trusted you as we should, how we have not submitted to your authority, how we have been wrong to do things that are right in our own eyes. So God, this morning we come asking and pleading for forgiveness through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, there is power in the blood of Christ who has purchased us, who has redeemed us, so that we may be a people who are zealous for good works. So God, in the the name of Christ and because of your faithfulness to forgive sin, we ask that you would cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. Those of us who are struggling with sin this morning, I pray, would bask in the forgiveness that is offered in Christ. And dear God, as we enter into um, worship, we remember those who who are struggling in our congregation. We lift up Uh, Fred Hope to you. Uh, We lift up Judy Player. We lift up all our our shut-ins who are not able to gather with us on a regular basis. Father, we pray as they they enter this this winter season, God, that you would show your kindness and your grace to them. We pray that you would heal them, that you would show them your love and your mercy. And dear God, we also just pray for our veterans. We thank you so much for those who have, have fought for our freedoms that we have. God, who have fought in so many ways, often behind the scenes. God, we thank you for those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. God, we pray for those who are serving in our armed services now, Father, overseas and at home. God, we pray that today that they would know your love and your peace. God, that they would trust you. God, in the midst of distress, that they would know that you hold their future and that life is worth living because you live. So God, I pray that you would give uh, faith to Christians who are in the armed services to share the gospel with those who are lost. God, we also just pray for our city. We thank you so much for for Rock Hill. God, we pray for uh, other gospel witnesses in our community. We pray for North Rock Hill Church this morning and Pastor Jay Hardwick. God, we pray as as he preaches, God, that you would just anoint his his words. God, that as as he announces and declares your holy word, that people would be formed into the image of Christ. We pray as we sung, Lord, that you would speak. Speak to that congregation, that they would submit to your holy word. And God, now we we come before you as a people, entering into your presence, into the throne room of God, along with the angels, Father, and the assembly of the firstborn. God, I pray that you would just allow us to hear and receive your word, that we would humbly submit, Father. So God, I first pray for the people that I love. God, the people that you've allowed me to shepherd. God, I pray for their hearts. I pray that you would allow them to receive your word, to hear your beauty, to hear your majesty in your holy word, that you would protect them from themselves, God, and point them to the way of the cross, God. Allow them to humble, humbly receive the word now. God, I pray for myself. I pray that you would search my heart and the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, that they would be um, acceptable to you, God. I pray that as I announce the holy word of God, Lord, that I announce it with authority, that I declare it, that I exhort and rebuke with all authority, the authority that is vested in your holy word. So God, I pray that I would not seek after my own glory, but your glory. So I pray that every word that is spoken is used to edify and strengthen this congregation. God, you know the needs of our church. You know the hurts. You know the joys. 
God, I pray that you would meet us now. Speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray. We ask this in Jesus' holy and righteous name. Amen. Well, we are in the throes of football season. Um, During my junior year in high school, my high school football coach wanted to be the first team in the state to have contact. Uh, Contact started on on August 8th, so the coach decided to have a midnight practice. So we went in the gymnasium and had a big event, invited family and friends, and we had our first live contact 12 midnight on August 8th, 1996. Well, following the um, the uh, practice, a few of my friends decided to go out to Denny's for, a, for an early, late uh, breakfast. And I was the one who was lucky enough to have a car and, and a new license, so I said, come on, guys, let's go. Uh, well, after breakfast, we were driving home. Uh, mind you, it's past curfew, so we probably should be at home. Uh, and I'm a new driver, so I'm already nervous. And one of my friends yelled from the back seat, Keen, the cops are behind you. So I do this. I look over my right shoulder, and I turn, with, and then I steer back, uh, and it looked like I was swerving on the road. The policeman stopped at my door. Uh, I was terrified the first time I've ever had a, an interaction with a police officer driving, and he said, may I have your license, sir? I handed him my wallet. <laughs> he said, can you please take your license out for me? Um, I, I was a bit nervous. He was gracious to me. I explained that we were out past curfew because it was football uh, practice, and he was gracious and let me off with a warning. But he didn't have to uh, because police officers have the full authority to enforce the laws of the state, don't they? If someone breaks the law, they have the right to enforce our laws. And we all think that's a good thing because who would want to live in a place where no one enforced our laws? You know, authority is essential for any well-ordered society. Uh, we, like I said before, we'll be celebrating Veterans Day in a few days. It's coming Tuesday. And our armed service men and women understand the importance of authority. Uh, everyone in the United States military knows that signing up for service, they are submitting to the authority of their commanding officers. My former boss and mentor, Barry Spofford, uh, served a long career in the United States Navy. Uh, He eventually, at one point in his career, was in charge of all deployments for the United States. So he would come and tell everybody where they would go all throughout the the world. Uh, He said that many people would, would come to him pleading with him not to go on deployment. They'd give him story after story. If I leave, I'm going to lose my family. If I leave, I'm going to miss the birth of my child. And he said that I, he said, he was looking at me, he said, I had to tell them, looking them in the eye, you're in the Navy. You have to obey your orders. Because if you're in the military, you understand the importance of authority. There's no debate. You know, our society has an aversion to authority. We may not like the decisions of those in authority, but there are certain authoritative relationships that most people do not question. Parents have authority over their children. The government has authority over their citizens. Commanding officers in the military have authority over those below them. See, our, our society does understand authority. But not all authority. What about the church? 
What authority does the church, the body of Christ, have over someone's life? In a recent study conducted by LifeWay Research, they asked a group of self-identified evangelicals, believers in Jesus, this question. Does my local church have authority to declare that I am not a Christian? Does my local church have authority to declare that I am not a Christian? In the study, 9 out of 10 evangelicals claim that the church has no authority to claim someone is or is not a Christian. How would you answer that question? Does your local church, does Park Baptist Church have authority over your profession of faith? If we start to live, if you start to live consistently contrary to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, does the church have authority to question your confession of Christ? The question of authority is nothing new. You see that in our mornings, this morning's text. Jesus faced people who questioned his authority. So I pray through this text this morning you will see the value of authority and that you will have the correct view of those who have authority over you. If you have a, a bulletin, if you want to flip to the back, you can follow the outline provided for you. The first truth this morning is the preaching with the authority of the gospel of Christ. Preaching with the authority of the gospel of Christ. We are en- Jesus just entered into Jerusalem, and we know that Jerusalem is that symbolic place where Jesus Christ is going to die. He just came into the tem- temple and he, he overthrew the tables for the unrighteous practices of the worship of God. Now his actions in clearing the temple was a messianic act. He was declaring that I am the Messiah. I have authority to correct your worship. Now he continues to establish his authority through preaching and teaching. Look with me again at verse 1. It says, 1 of chapter 20, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes of the elders came up. I love, I love this picture uh, because often when we think about Jesus, we think about his life and his death, his resurrection, we think about the miracles that he did. But if you read the gospels closely, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read them closely, what you see is that Jesus Christ establishes his authority by preaching and teaching. You even see that in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 4, verse 42 and 43. When it was day, he departed, Jesus, and went to a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to find him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, this is what Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus Christ establishes his authority of one we should listen to through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Even at the, the, the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the gospel uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, what does it say? And Jesus finished these sayings, these teachings. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority not as their scribes. See, the the authority of Jesus' teaching was why the people were hanging on every word. 
We see that at the end of chapter 19, remember that? That they were hanging on every word. They were hanging because of the authority in which Jesus preached. He was building up his authority through the word. Even the Great Commission, right before the, the calling, what does it say? And Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What you see in the Gospels is this, is that Jesus Christ establishes his authority through the preaching of the word. And now he is sending his church with that authority to preach his gospel. As Jesus Christ has established the authority, so does the church establish the authority of Jesus Christ through the preaching of the word. This is what we do as a church. See, churches are never about their own authority. You know, it's interesting because as a pastor, I'm getting up and I'm talking about authority, the authority of the church. I'm trying to make a case that the church has authority to tell you how you should live. It has authority to, to question or to bring you into membership. And usually what people say is, what gives you the right, pastor, to tell me what is right and wrong? And I say, I have no right outside of the word of God. God in his word has called the church to preach the gospel with authority. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom. So in view of God, the creator, the maker, the one who's going to judge the living and the dead, in view of that, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. See, people bristle at the fact that people in the church, leadership, may tell you how to live. But can I just tell you something very clearly? Is that when I stand at this pulpit to declare God's word to you, if I do not preach the word, I am not listening to the Lord Christ. I am not thinking that Jesus Christ is standing over me. The judge, the living and the dead, tells me to preach, to rebuke, to reprove you for your sake, so that you could become holy and righteous and pure and blameless in the eyes of God. God's word is important. So does the church have authority? Yes. But it is not to establish our own authority. It's to establish whose authority? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ establishes his own authority through the preaching of the word. So we, following his example, establish his authority through the preaching of God's word. But we also see the second point, protesting the authority of the gospel of Christ. Protesting the authority of the gospel of Christ. And that's really what the passage is primarily about. The scribes and the chief priests did not like Jesus' teaching because they did not want to submit to his authority. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. See how this plays out. It says, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priest and the, scri the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority you do these things, and who it is that gave you this authority. So the leadership of the day was coming to Jesus and basically saying, who do you think you are? 
What gives you the right to tell us how to live? Now, it could mean primarily the scene that we just saw, the overthrowing of the temple. That, could be, that was a messianic act. He was trying to say, say that he was the Messiah. So it could be referring to that. But I think we have to broaden the meaning a little bit. Because right before it says what? Jesus was doing what? Teaching in the temple. And whenever he taught, he did what? He was teaching about the good news of the kingdom of God. He was preaching the gospel. The gospel means good news. So we, what we see here is that the scribes and the elders say, what gives you the right to preach about the kingdom of God? And what does Jesus do? He turns the tables on them, which we'll see here in a moment. But first, let me ask you this. How do you respond to the teaching of Jesus? Are you more like the leaders or the people? Are you protesting against Jesus, or are you submitting to his word? Now, if I were to ask that question in a conversation, I said, you know, are you trusting in Jesus' word? Most Christians would say, absolutely. Right? Isn't that easy answer for most Christians? Yes, of course I believe in God's word. Of course I want to submit to Jesus' example. But is that true? I mean, is it really true that you submit to Jesus' word? When I was in seminary, my, one of my professors, Mark Lederbach, he was a professor of theology and ethics, he said he gave us a little formula to know what our real beliefs were. He said this, he said, our, our stated belief subtracted by our actual practice equals our, our actual belief. So, for example, maybe I, I, my, my stated belief is that water is the best drink for your body. But my actual practice is always to drink soda and sweet tea. My actual belief is that water is really not that important because sweet tea and soda is better for me. You see how we're living there? We say the same thing for the church. You know, we say the church should be a priority in our lives, but I'm only going to come once in a while. So your actual, your actual belief is that the church is not really that big of a priority. That's how we can tell what we really, truly believe. You know, we don't want to pay lip service to Jesus. We don't want to say, I believe in your authority, and then actually do what he says. You know, we've been going through a study on Wednesday night about the minor prophets, and that's what the people of God used to always do. You know, we saw this in Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. What they were doing is saying, God, we, we love you. We, we, we want to honor you. But what were they bringing to the table to God? They weren't bringing their best. They weren't bringing the blameless animals. They were bringing the ones who were defamed, defiled. That was not the way Jesus wants us to live. And Jesus wants our stated belief and our actual practices to match up. This is what he says to those who do not live by the word. Hear me, beloved. Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood rose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears, listen, right now every single one of you are hearing this word. Unless you're sleeping. Wake up! Okay? If you're hearing this word, okay, you're in this camp. It says whoever hears the word but does 
not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the steam stream broke against it, it immediately fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So let me just ask you this. In what areas of your life are you not listening to Jesus? Where do your stated beliefs not match up with your actual practice? One of the most consistent ways people protest against Jesus' authority today is to protest against the authority of the church. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was asking the, dis- the disciples, who do people say that I am? Some were saying John the Baptist, others say he's one of the prophets, maybe Elijah come back. But then he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And this is what Jesus, Peter, replied. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we could stop right there, and we could all go, Amen. But listen to what he says next. I will give you, Peter, the representative of the church, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter's confession as a representative of the church, Jesus is saying the church has this responsibility of binding and loosing. So understanding who is a Christian and who is not a Christian. Do they have a true biblical confession of Christ? A biblical confession of of the gospel is not merely stating words. We just talked about that. But confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart, actually being changed, submitting, trusting in this word. The Bible uses the language repentance and faith. Repentance means changing your mind about who God is. He is Lord. He is the King. You can't change that. Nobody can change the fact that Jesus Christ is fact, the Lord, is the King of kings, is the sovereign one over all history. That can never be changed. The question is, is will you live as if that is true? And when you do that, you repent. You turn from your sins and you trust and you abide. You remain in Christ. That's what the church does. So if you're here, have you made a biblical confession? Have you repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ. As Christians, we we, we do not believe that our good works save us. We are all sinners, and when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, without hope, without God, the Lord sent Christ to die for us. Jesus died in the place of sinners, and three days later rose from the dead, offering living hope of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, to anyone who would repent of their sins and trust in Christ. Repentance is living in the reality that Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord. And one of the signs of repentance is submission to a local church. The church has been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven, this binding and loosing. So how does this binding and loosing show itself in the life of a local church? Well, 
there's two ordinances the Lord gave the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is, is the visible sign of entrance into the community, entrance into the kingdom. We are affirming your confession of faith of your repentance of sin and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ welcome you, binding on earth, being bound in heaven. Then the Lord's Supper is the second ordinance. And what does the Lord's Supper do? It says that you are continuing, trusting, and abiding in uh, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We, 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 we see that you are trusting and abiding. And eventually, if you are consistently living in a lie that is contrary to the gospel, what does the church do? It looses your confession. It sends you away until you live rightly and you are actively, presently trusting and abiding. Most people, when they talk about their salvation, usually say what? I was saved, don't they? Past tense. Is that true? Absolutely, right? You, you were saved at a point in history. But how does the Bible typically speak about our Christian life today? We are actively trusting. We are being saved. We are abiding. We are walking. It's not a past tense. So usually when I talk to people who are living a life contrary to Christ, they say, I was saved. And I say, are you trusting? Are you abiding? Are you walking? I would say the same to you. Are you trusting in Christ? Are you abiding? You're remaining in Christ? You do that through the local church. When I asked that question earlier, does my local church have authority to declare that I am not a Christian? Listen to the author of uh, several books, Jonathan, Dr. Jonathan Lehman, how he responds to this question. He says this, Church membership made visible through the ordinances, baptism, Lord's Supper, is a public affirmation of someone's profession of faith. Church discipline is the removal or the loosing of that affirmation. The latter is not a denial that someone is a Christian. It's statement that the church is no longer willing to affirm someone's profession. The church does not make people Christians. Only God does that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The church's role is to exercise the authority vested in them by the Lord Jesus Christ by the preaching and teaching of the Word of God holding the church accountable to how we live in accordance with God's word. If people are not abiding or trusting in Christ, then it's the church's responsibility based on the authority given to the church by God to let people go, to remove the public affirmation of we think that you are a believer to say, we're not so sure based on your life. The church is not fully denying that someone is not a Christian. But they are saying there's, there's reason to doubt. Now I know that that may sound weird or strange to our 21st century postmodern ears. But this is how the church has functioned for generations. I find it very interesting that most people I talk to today claim a new way of thinking, a new way of doing something. Isn't that just arrogant? prideful, that we are going to reject the traditions and the, 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 the historical Christian Orthodox heritage that we have for generations? And young people, can I just say that to you? That's probably one of the greatest dangers of young people today, right? Young people 
right, are naturally arrogant and prideful, right? We struggle with that. Amen? I'm still young. I'm still young, right? Somebody say yes! Thank you. Right? We we struggle with this because we think we know how to do it better. And one of the things that the the older generation needs to do, do to us is they need to put their hand on our shoulders and say, son, let me tell you. Because they have seen a lot more. They have done a lot more. So the greatest problem in the church is this. Young people don't want to listen, and the old, older folks don't want to share. So if the older folks are willing to share, and the younger people are willing to listen, guess what? We're going to be a healthy and strong church. If one of those things break down, we have a lot of problems. The last point, passing on the authority, passing on the authority of the gospel of Christ. Passing on the authority of the gospel of Christ. When I was reading this this morning, um, my wife said this may not be the best way to saying it. I'm not using it as passing on like you're passing on a baton. I'm using it as passing on as like you're moving away from it, right? So I got to work on that. Thank you. Checks in the mail. Um, so Jesus kind of answers the, the, his critics with a question. He kind of poses a question. You know, they came there to trap him, but Jesus kind of flips it around on them. Look at verses 3 through 8. <coughs> Jesus answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death if we are convinced that John was a prophet. I almost get this picture. They kind of huddled together and said, hey man, what are you going to do? What are we going to say? We, we, we don't know how to, how, how, to, how to deal with this. So they said, hey, we don't know. What do you think about that one, Lord? Well, then I'm not going to give you the answer that you asked for. They passed on the authority of Christ. The question is very simple. Is the authority of Jesus from heaven or from God? Now, we know two times throughout the the Gospels, the baptism of Jesus and the transfiguration, there was a voice from heaven saying what? This is my beloved Son, listen to him. God has already declared that Jesus Christ is the one you should listen to. But not only that, he's declared it through his miracles, through his wonderful works. So let me just close by saying this. Jesus is no longer physically present with us. But he has left us us his word as our authority. Last year, I was at the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and at the convention, they had passed resolutions every year. We resolved for the preaching of the word to be this way. We resolved to back certain um, ideas. Uh, and one of the re- resolutions came forward. We was resolving the preaching of the gospel with authority. And the young man came to the mic, and he said, excuse me, I have a question. Can we, I was wondering if we could remove the word authority there. I'm not sure if we should have that word in the resolution about preaching. And while he was saying that, this, the, the scripture came to mind, the end of, of Titus, chapter 2. Titus, chapter 2. Let me read the, the first part, which is a beautiful picture of the gospel, and let me make my final point. So Titus, chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's the gospel, isn't it? Right there is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus Christ gave himself to redeem us, to buy us back from slavery and death. But then he adds this word. It's almost like a footnote. He says this, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the calling of the church, whether it's me, whether it's somebody who comes after me, right? The calling of the gospel is to preach with authority because we are trying to establish the authority of Jesus Christ in your life and in my life. And we do that through the preaching of God's holy, inerrant word. So the question we are left with today is this. Is the Bible from heaven or from man? Is the Bible in your life and in mine, are we going to live as this Bible is from heaven? Or are we going to close it, put it on the shelf, and say it doesn't have meaning for me today? It's just suggestion, a helpful way to live. Well, according to a recent study, one out of four people in the church don't believe that's God's word. So if I had every, other, every fourth person stand up and say, they would answer that this book is not a book of God, that's a book of man. The question for you today, the question for all of us, today, tomorrow, until we die, is will we live as if this is given to us by God, who has authority to speak to us because he made us and we are his creatures, the people of his pasture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your authority. We thank you that by the power of your spirit, we do not want to live in a way that is right in our own eyes, but God, we want to live under your authority. So God, I pray for the people here that they would trust your word, that they would live in submission to it. Help us do this by the power of your spirit, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.